Hello and you're very welcome to another episode of Graduate Compass. In today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Nancy, known by her nickname Nanners in this interview, about her career in veterinary medicine in the United States. Now, I wanted to put a little bit of a trigger warning on this interview because Nancy was very open, honest and brave about her experiences of working in this field. And as such, she did include a lot of kind of stories and information around the topics of mental health issues, particularly around suicide, which some people listening might find a little bit sensitive and triggering. And so I wanted to give a little bit of a trigger warning just in case anyone's listening might uh, find that topic too sensitive to listen or talk about. Please bear that in mind as you move through the episode. Having said that, it's a really interesting episode, completely different sector or something we've, we've talked about before. Um, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation. <laughs> Welcome to Graduate Compass, the podcast for graduates who haven't quite figured out what their next step is going to be. You're very welcome to the Graduate Compass uh, podcast episode streaming live on TikTok. I'm delighted to say. Nanners, do you want to introduce yourself and give people a little bit of introduction to who you are and, and what you do for a living? Yeah, so I my nickname is Nanners. Professionally, I'm known as Nancy. Um, I am a veterinary nurse. Um, I have uh, I did I had to do another interview last week, and I had to do the math. And I've been I've been working in veterinary medicine since I was 15, so I've been doing it for about 35 years. But professionally, like post college and all that, for 29. Yeah, it's what I do. I do emergency critical care at a specialty hospital. Things that I've done in the past is I have done small animal, large animal, exotic wildlife. I worked in a university setting for 17 years. I worked at Tufts Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. So I started off working as an overnight uh, nurse between ICU and the general ward area. And then I got bumped up. I was a clinical skills instructor for first and second year veterinary students. So I would instruct them on uh, various things like restraint, uh, venipuncture, uh, catheter placement. I'd also assist the clinicians in that with like bone marrow aspirates and chest tube placement and, you know, everything that they were going to need to know as they moved up into a clinical setting. I did veterinary oncology for 12 years, so I did primarily chemotherapy, and that was really, I feel, where I grew as a nurse. And, uh, and I also, you know, still got to teach, which is great. And it just provided me a lot of opportunities to participate in some groundbreaking uh, research. Um, I've been published a few times and spoken at conferences. Just give, me, give people perhaps um, an idea of the journey because it, our, our interview tonight is slightly different to what we usually do. Because usually we, we go with people who've taken kind of, um, I suppose, unexpected trajectories in terms of maybe they studied one thing ended up in something else yours is more of a, a traditional career journey which which, which is great because it gives us something to compare and contrast a little bit how long did that did, did your degree take and, and what was it like kind of coming out of oh. your degree then having to do that so yeah so I only did a two-year degree because that was the only thing that was available at the time um so I have an associates in science um now they have four-year degrees so um, but doing what I can do, I can do it in two years, but then there's an exam that you take, you get certified. So you take a national exam and you maintain that through, you know, continuing education. You can do that you take, you get certified. So you take a national exam and you maintain that through, you know, 
continuing education. You can do, um, you can do like a specialty exam. So say you want to be a special, you know, uh, they would call this a VTS. So you'd be a veterinary technician specialist. So, and it would be in a particular field. So you could do internal medicine, you can do oncology, you can do cardiology, you can do anesthesia. So how, how did you kind of figure out what your next step was gonna be when you came out of, out of, out of your course? So after I, so after I graduated, um, after I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so, you know, which was shocking because a lot of people in my class really gravitated towards research. Probably 90% of my class went into research and I was just like, eh, that's not, it wasn't really like my thing. So I, I just kind of explored my field. So like when I got out, I did small animal, large animal. And then I went over to where I did a, um, I worked at a practice where it was solely cats in pocket pets and birds, which was interesting. Um, and our motto was, if a cat eats it, we'll see it. <laughs> but we didn't see dogs. It was, you know, but we saw everything else from birds, pocket pet, like hamsters, guinea pigs. I mean, I've done surgery. We did surgery on rats. I mean, reptiles, we would, you know, like get blood and, you know, just do all these things, which was really great. And then um, from that, I moved over to a university setting. And so it was a lot of dogs and cats, but we had an exotic practice, you know, exotic medicine. So I was doing zoo medicine there too. So uh, I think it's really important to know that you're not really pigeonholed into like one thing. And that's really important. Know that there are venues and things that you would never think to do. Research is a huge thing. Um, you know, even just like working for pharmaceutical companies, uh, with their, you know, with, um, the things that they sell, that you've got companies, you could do labs. So you could be working in a lab, you know, working on samples and, and lab work and hematology and pathology. You could do that. You do have, you could do zoo medicine. You can do marine medicine. You can, you know, there's wildlife rehab. I mean, there's so many different things. And it's important to know that you do have options. And when you're in school, they actually require you to do an internship in your last year where you actually um, go around and you rotate through different areas of veterinary medicine just so that you can kind of get a taste of it to see what it is that piques your interest and when I was in oncology I, I got a lot of students I got a lot of students um, coming through and just learning about it and I probably had about three or four that were students that actually went on to do oncology which was pretty exciting so um, it, it is just a matter of finding out seeing what really kind of ticks for you and what works and and going that and so you should always be exploring always take opportunities to like do internships or volunteer um at different places just to see what kind of like because you could find out like that's not going to work for you like surgery not my thing i mean i can get something through surgery not a problem but it is not like i find it boring as someone who knows nothing about surgery 
the idea of, I, I'd imagine there's, there's loads of words I would have used to describe surgery having never done it. Boring was never going to be one of them. It sounds like an absolutely terrifying thing. So yeah, that that's amazing. I mean, it's it's really nice to hear that that there is that kind of flexibility because I think you know when certainly when I think of kind of veterinary medicine, I perhaps thought that you would be in pigeonholes or you would have had that experience. But it's it's great to hear that there's obviously that sort of a, a movement to give people an idea. What would your day to day work now look like? What 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 would your average day look like? Like like right now. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, okay. if you want to focus on a different aspect, you could, but I just thought it might be good to focus on okay. now as a starting point. All right. So let's focus. Well, so I'll take you through a day of emergency critical care, and then I'll take you through a day of what it was for me for oncology. How about Perfect. That? Yeah, sounds great. So, yeah. So a day of emergency critical care is, <laughs> it's like Christmas. You just don't know what's coming through the door. <laughs> you know, you don't know. And so perfect example yesterday was not, was not a really, really saturated patient load day, but towards the end of my shift, I had a, an 11 year old little dog come in that was um, uh, stung by a swarm of bees. And so this dog was having an anaphylactic reaction. So I uh, haven't seen one of those in a hot minute. And so, you know, so we were dealing with that and, in emergency critical care, you could do everything from like we get stuff where it's like a broken toenail and it won't stop bleeding to um, a hit by car where it's like all hands on deck to like we've literally had a hit by car come in and you're working on that. And then you have something else coming in that is coding, which means that they're not breathing. And so you're now having to work between two. And so there are definitely times where the staff is divided and you've got one doctor who's working on one, but barking orders for another thing. So you're always having to adapt because things can change so quickly in emergency medicine. It could be something so simple to something not simple. And so you can have all that going on. The phones are ringing. You've got people upset because they're here for an ear infection and they're upset because no one is calling them. But what they don't know is what's going on in the back. And when you get on the phone to talk to these people, you have to kind of shut off what just happened and focus on the ear infection. And so it's a lot of, it's a lot of um, putting, putting, shutting down and you know, not worrying about your emotions and like not, it's hard, it's hard because like you're, you could be upset about something that, you know, you feel bad, but then you've got to go on to the phone and be like, oh, so Fluffy's got an ear infection. I'm really sorry to hear that. And really what you just want to do is kind of go in the bathroom, take a breath, maybe shed a few tears, splash some water in your face and do with that. So it's a lot of, so it's a lot of up and down of, um, unpredictability uh, in emergency critical care. Now, if you're going to do oncology, it's actually predictable. Just tell us what oncology is. Just so on, Yeah, so oncology is chemo, is uh, cancer. So, uh, so we did, I did cancer treatments. So either, uh, so my focus was chemotherapy. So we did the injectable medication. We also had radiation therapy. So there are some uh, there were definitely like some cancers that benefit better from radiation therapy than they would chemotherapy. Sometimes you would mesh the two together. So they would either start off with chemotherapy and then go to radiation therapy, or they go off to radiation therapy and then come to chemo. Or you would just 
radiation and chemo together. So, um, but yeah, like oncology was predictable. You knew who was coming in. Um, you knew what they needed. And so really the only plot twist you would have is um, would their blood counts be high enough to allow them to have chemo that week? Or, you know, do they have a progression of a disease? And so sometimes what you would see is like some patients do really well, just like in human medicine, some patients do really well with chemo and some patients don't. So one where you would expect them to get about six to nine months or, or even longer, um, you, they get less than three months. And, you know, everybody is different and you just do what you can. Um, and um, it's a challenge, you know, so oncology was a challenge because you're working at, uh, you know, in human medicine, when you have cancer diagnosis and say you, you get diagnosed when you're 40, just throw it out there. You know, they're expecting you to live to be about 70 or 80. So if they're going to spend a year, they're going to slam you really hard with chemo to kill that cancer because they, they're, they're anticipating that you're going to live another 30, 40 years. And so a year in that span is such a blip. In it's so small that people are like, yes, I can endure a year of vomiting, nausea, low blood counts, and all of that. For animals, we really kind of focus on the quality of life. So even though we are we are hitting them with chemo, we're not hitting them like people would be dosed. We're hitting them enough to take care of the cancer, but we don't want our patients in the hospital week after week. We don't want them vomiting profusely. So we work really hard on quality of life and we are really like preemptive. So we're really... We, we were like, here's this anti-nausea medication. So we'll start the anti-nausea medication. We want you to continue that. Uh, blood counts will drop. We know that this is a very predictable thing. So we know between these certain days, this is when the chemo will cause your counts to drop. And so uh, if you know they get sick enough and their counts drop, then we in the future know that we will need to dose reduce that medication and we will cover them with medications to keep them out of the hospital. We want them out of the hospital because for people, it's it's about time. They want that extra summer. You know, they want to take their dog to the beach one more time. They want to have another Christmas or another Thanksgiving, or they want their kids who are away at college to come home and see their pet before they have to say goodbye. So they're, So it's about time. It's providing a really good quality of life and time with the family but keeping the cancer kind of, you know, keeping the cancer at bay. And I've had onc patients that have gone years after chemo. And then I've had onc patients that have, you know, not even made it through their three month protocol. So it's, but we do, we work really hard. We do the best we can in doing that. So I think that's just kind of the difference between, you know, unpredictability and a little bit of predictability. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and I was was there, you know, what was the motivation then to kind of move from the oncology, like kind of into the kind of emergency setting? But was that, was that about a choice or, or, you know, necessity or how did that come about? So for me, I really started to see that mentally I wasn't doing, and even though I, lo I love oncology to this day, I will tell you, I love oncology. 
I said, I really grew as a nurse in that field. It's really where I grew. And I, that's really where my strong suit is and my knowledge base. I'm very good at it. Um, but what I was starting to see was that um, I was burning out. I was burning out from it. And uh, I actually probably what sealed, there were a couple of things that sealed the deal for me was, um, you know, I was not in a good headspace and I had gone on this vacation. I had gone to the Amazon rainforest and I had an amazing time. And I was like, I just need to get through this vacation. And when I get through the vacation, I have my vacation, everything's going to be okay. And, um, it wasn't, I came back and it was just the same. Like I just, the spark was gone. And, um, a veterinarian that I knew had committed suicide. And I think those two things, it was like, I can continue doing what I'm doing, but if I do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the same fate as this colleague of mine, or I could do something different and still be in the field, but do something different. And I actually didn't start off in, um, emergency critical care. I actually went and I did internal medicine. <laughs> so I was doing internal medicine. And then I hopped off of internal medicine uh, and did ophthalmology. And then I hopped off of ophthalmology and did surgery for a little bit. And I found out that surgery wasn't my thing. And then I went to emergency critical care with the understanding that the critical care aspect of it is uh, for me more fulfilling than the emergency medicine. Um, I like bonds with clients and uh, in my in my patients and so a lot of emergency medicine you treat it and then you send them away most of the time but yeah so for me it was it was if I didn't leave oncology um, I was going to leave oncology probably in a way that my family and my friends would miss me terribly so I chose I chose uh, my mental well-being over um, my, you know, just sticking it out, just sticking yeah. it out. And I really was, I was going, I was going to die. I was going to die if I continued that. And I knew that. Um, and so I just kind of pulled myself away and I got a lot of flack for it, to be honest with you. I was like, you're throwing away your throat. I was at the university 17 years and they're like, you're throwing away your career. Like you're never going to get this and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I kind of like oxygen. I like connection with my family and my friends and you can't do that when you're six feet under. So sometimes what, what, doing what's right for you may not look right for other people, but you have to do what's right. Oh, I absolutely agree. And well done for having that kind of self awareness, I suppose, for want of a better phrase and, and, you know, kind of being able to step back. I have to be, I am slightly surprised. I would have thought, and obviously correct me here if I'm wrong. Well, I would have thought that the emergency medicine stuff would have been more stressful than the oncology stuff, but it sort of sounds like maybe it's the opposite, that the oncology stuff was much more stressful. Uh, yeah, so this is my take on it. So, and this, is, and this is really kind of like what the difference is for me is like with oncology patients, I had a connection. I had a connection with a pet. I had a connection with a client. These are people and these pets that I was seeing like every week, every two weeks. And so you build a relationship with you know, you build a relationship. Like I know 
I know like when Precious and Durst are coming through the hospital, Precious is going to hide under the chair and Durst is going to be like, hey, what's going on? And excited, you know, because you, you just you just learn their mannerisms. And I know that like when, you know, someone's going to come in like this dog isn't going to walk with me unless I, you know, rub their belly before I can take them off, you know, or, you know, just you just understanding and you get you get their dynamic emergency medicine you don't get that you don't have a chance to build these connections like and to be clear when something is in in the icu or something comes through the emergency service and i'm taking care of it i always let people know like that your pet has now become my pet and i'm going to treat your pet like i treat my pet and my pets have it really good my my pets have it really really good and um it's so in a short amount of time, I'm trying to build a relationship and trying to figure it out, but I don't really form a super connection. And so for me, I feel like emergency critical care is easier because you don't have the lasting bond that you would have with a long time patient in, in whether that's an in internal medicine or oncology, or even in GP, general practice, where you've got these dogs and cats that have been coming in, they come in as a kitten, and now they're 16 years old, and they've been coming to the same vet that whole time. You build, that is a relationship in which you build. Emergency, you're there to treat the problem at hand. And a lot of times you won't see that pet back because they'll go back to their regular vet for follow-up care or, or something like that, or we've treated the situation that does not require, um, doesn't require them to come back to us. Sometimes they do, but even then it's like, you know, they're just coming in to have some lab work done and they're usually done within two weeks. So the, I think that's for the difference for me. I mean, I mean, I, I, I applaud you for that because for kind of being aware of that because one of the things I, you know, was as a career education kind of platform for, for graduates, you know, we're always kind of encouraging people to, Sort of take stock and, and realize what works for them and 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 that's a really important part of the career journey that i think often gets over overlooked until people are kind of a few years into things so we're uh, coming towards the end of our chat um i've, I've really enjoyed the chat because it's, it's sort of you've given certainly given me and like a, i'm sure people listening as well you've given like a quite a, a really interesting insight into into the field and, and the kind of the, the the broadness of it i suppose to kind of end the the conversation um what would be your sort of advice and, and, and guidance would be for anyone who's who's contemplating something in your field, maybe hasn't quite worked out if they want to do it, how they want to do it. What would be your, your advice to kind of, you know, dip that toe in and kind of start to figure things out? The thing that would, for me, that I really want people to get is like, if you're really, really, really contemplating veterinary medicine, understand you're doing it because you're passionate about it and you're not doing it because you're passionate about the amount of money you're going to have in your checking account. I love that. Great. Well, thank, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. You've uh, yeah. definitely given us an insight in what it's been like, and it's been really useful. So thank you so much. Love yeah, this together. has actually been a lot of fun. So Good. thanks thank for you. having me. You're more than, more than welcome. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure, and you've, you've definitely given me a lot to think about um, with because it's I have to be a scenario to know a huge amount about going into this conversation. And it's something that I wanted yeah. to kind of bring to my listeners and people following on the app. So thank you so much. You've been yeah. up to this part. Yay! Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Kian. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of Graduate Compass. Remember, if there is a degree subject or specific industry you would like to be featured on any future episodes, then we would love to hear from you and know what you are trying to find out. Our email is info at graduatecompass.ie.